RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's that time again here at Reality Check Radio to check in with our friend Ivor Cummins in Dublin, Ireland. Welcome back, Ivor. Nice to have you on again. Great to be here again, Paul. Now, you've been on Dr. Drew. Yeah, just last night. And uh, I was planning on around 45 minutes because it's 9 p.m. here. And we didn't finish up till after 10.30, so an hour and a half. And Dr. Kelly was there as well, his kind of sidekick. Dr. And there were callers. Yeah. 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 Oh, so you take live callers in the show? Yeah, they took callers at the end. So first, Dr. Drew for 15 minutes. And I gave a summary of the kind of great reset, the history of the Rockefellers we spoke about before. Yeah, a uh, very brief summary. And he talked about the new YouTube censorship uh, and censorship in general. And then we went to Kelly and she asked about vaccines and, you know, health and all the health work I've done for 10 years. I was careful with the vaccines topic, uh, but I made a point we can make here in, in our conversation uh, about autism. I said, look, it's very controversial. I haven't done a lot of investigative work on it, I'll be honest. But I said, for me, it's quite simple. Uh, in 2016, I got a couple of vaccines going to China. Didn't even ask what they were. Went up to the company doc, was not mandatory, went up. She slapped them in. I chatted to her, didn't even ask her. So I have a clear history. Kids are vaccinated. Never went for the vaccines are problematic stuff. So that's my history. However, since March 2020, I've totally changed my views. And I made the point that I got the book Turtles All the Way Down. Now, it's hard to find because if you look it up on Google, I guess they're suppressing it. But there's another book, Turtles All the Way Down, that's about music or something. So you got to dig a little. you got to use yeah. the V word and stuff. Yeah. And that astonished me. So it's packed with references. It's never been banned. It can't be. And I read through it. it everything is referenced. And for me, the placebo or the control group in experimentation is the heart of science. And I say often nowadays, no control, no science. And, and that sounds very strong, but it's true. And I know from my whole career, when you do experiments, if they're not properly controlled, engineers can let their personal bias take over, do an experiment, get the result they want to see. But it wasn't controlled, wasn't controlled. So you know your result is scientific. It's huge. And obviously, in the whole medical sphere, you know, they don't like controls because often it shows up that the medication is rubbish or there's a problem with it. So I said, it stuns me and turtles all the way down is the best way to to see the full story. There's no control effectively. So all the vaccine products are tested. They decide against other vaccines or against the adjuvants which trigger your immune system. Uh, an adjuvant without a vaccine, doesn't matter, not controlled, no placebo. And they go all the way back being tested against each other, which is a zero science arena. It's as simple as that, whatever about your feelings about vaccines. And way back, there's a bit of placebo in the murky past. But even that one, I mean, it, it's barely discernible as properly done. So as the book's title turtles all the way down, every time you go back to the last, the last, the last, you can go all the way to infinity and uh, right. you can't find the control. Right. That's it for me. That, so whatever about whatever harms they cause, I'm sure they're, even the BMJ said maybe one to 10% of side effects are actually reported. And they acknowledge there are side effects. You know, even the industry does. Of course there are. 
We don't know the extent of them because everything is murky and they don't get tracked. But the big thing is we know that they eliminated the control decades ago. And if you eliminate the control for something you're given to hundreds of millions of people, you have to assume there's a serious problem until proven otherwise. Yeah. We can't prove otherwise because no placebo. It's crazy. Yeah, so it, so it stays. It's never resolved. Yeah. And because it's been running for decades like that, imagine how impossible it's going to be changed now when they've been given a free reign for decades and it's been accepted by the FDA and they have no liability. That was, I think, the Reagan years or was it the 90s? No, they I got think it was exemption. Reagan, in Reagan, yeah. one of his terms, yeah. Yeah, and Reagan, I think Reagan meant well in one sense. He said a lot of good stuff about smaller government and the most terrible words or frightening words you can hear are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah, so right. Reagan had a lot of good stuff, but unfortunately he said in the belief in capitalism, he said pharma should be paying for all of these trials because they're making a lot of money. Right. So he got them to pay the FDA for getting trials done. Boy, I bet they were rubbing course. their hands when, when they heard old Ronnie say that. Oh, I mean, literally, we're going to pay our regulator who's meant yeah. to regulate us. Sure, within a few years, we're going we're gonna to be all buddies. We're going to own and, it. And that's yeah. what happened. And the revolving door, you know, the head of Pfizer ends up being the head of the FDA or vice versa. At this stage, it's a joke. So no liability. They uh, managed to get rid of the control, which they've also done in 2002 for antihypertensives. This is an interesting one for listeners. Okay. And I told the story on Drew. I said, this applies also to chemotherapy. So I got into that topic and there was a lot of attacks on Twitter because the cancer industry, if you even walk in there, you're going to get smashed. It's incredible. Like, And there's so many people because cancer is such an emotive disease and a terrible disease. I've had and, it. I know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, the thing is, there's there's millions of people who've been through treatment and survived who have enormous gratitude to the system. So they're all there as well. And yeah, I, I mean, saying, you're going to get that. You are going to get oh, that. They will yeah. kind of worship the medications. Yeah, they do. And and again, there was no real control for them, but they're they're not. It's their life, personally. It's it's emotional. They're not going to think about how scientific was my recovery, how much did it re result from X, Y. Of course, of course not. I don't expect that. So there's no control. So they believe fully that they'd be gone without it. And in many cases, this is true. Surgery and targeted radiotherapy uh, can be extremely effective. I, I think particularly radiotherapy. Especially in the last decade or two when it's become highly targeted with yes. technology. And they're yeah. not just blasting. When my mother had cancer oh, 30 something years ago, cervical, very serious, the radiotherapy hammered the whole area yeah. of the uterus. But, but nowadays they can really target, like, and they've. You know, I had it in the throat, and they were able to go down to half a millimeter resolution. That, that's it. So that the key there, you've said it, Paul. If you can blast the cancer, and there's new treatments like ferroptosis, uh, where they use iron. Uh, to to attack the cancer, overloaded with iron. It's a very interesting story. But anyway, they've got precision now. But the problem, chemo still, it's not really precise. So you damage the cancer and you, of course, damage your whole body. People know their hair falls out. They feel nauseous, sick. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, terrible. So when you look and, at and chemo... Ivor, it's expensive. 
Um, oh. I had a little bit of chemo, just <clears throat> fun fact here. And uh, I was curious because everybody in the room were getting slightly different forms of chemo. Some were more valuable than others. The most expensive bag, 13000 New Zealand dollars a bag. Mine was $6,000 a bag. That's the money that's involved. Yeah, and just multiply that up by cancer has overtaken heart disease now. There you the go. Ching, ching. Yeah. It's, it's enormous. So that briefly on chemo, I won't go on. Um, when I went back, I, I said, well, what I'll do, because there's so much tension on Twitter about this topic and I'm being attacked by trolls, and then I begin to worry that people will call me a cancer denier or something. So I was a bit worried because my, my employer at the time doesn't like controversy. And I said, this cancer thing is crazy. Like, I'm getting attacked here, left, right, and center. I've stepped in a hornet's nest. So I just changed, was very balanced. And I said, well, guys, same as for statins. I've gone through hundreds of published trials and randomized control trials uh, from pharma. But I accept their data. I, I said, I accept they're not cheating, I'm assuming. I go through their data and see what's the real benefit against a control. And what you find out for statins is, it's amazingly weak benefit with their own data. And people don't realize this. So I, I went out and I, I, I tried to find a chemotherapy uh, or CTs, like statin ones. There's hundreds of statin ones. And I couldn't find any. I said, that's weird, because I'm decades finding published papers on topics. And I've become an artist at finding them. I couldn't find them. So I went back out on Twitter and I said, guys, can someone send me some RCTs on, on any chemo just so I can look at the data? I can't find them. And someone replied and said, you won't find them. There are none. Wow. Okay. And I said, I said no, there has to be. <laughs> no, they test against the other chemo every time. And I said, yeah, but at the start, okay, I, there must be trials at the start. And someone said, I think there's one, uh, maybe. And I found it eventually. So it was one of the early chemo trials. And what they found was that it slowed the progression of the tumor growth rate in centimeters in versus placebo. And it was a four-month trial. I think they stopped it early. I can't recall exactly. But it slowed the growth rate in the first few weeks, which the chemo does because it smashes every cell pretty much and the cancer gets smashed too. So you got this good result in the first couple of months. And then because the body gets hammered as well, then the cancer came back. It bounced back generally, generally, broadly. And by the end of four months, they had no mortality difference. The difference in survivability was, was tiny. So what I would do, honestly, if I did that trial, I'd be very disappointed. And I'd say, okay, it didn't work out this time because we hit the cancer, then it bounced back. And at the end of four and a half months against placebo, there's no real change in survival. You know, the curves are a little bit different, but you, you, you know, might have it, bought you might have bought a bit of time at a little bit of time, but I think the statistically, best case. yeah, statistically significance wise, I don't I don't think it was statistically significant. There was a trend towards more time, but but that's what you would say is we we got to try something better. Yeah. We got to go to the next step. You know what they did? They sat down. They convened an ethics committee, and they said, "Whoa, this this hit the the growth so much." which it did in the first month or two. This is amazing. So you know what? Um, it'd be unethical from now on to test against placebo because this clearly is so amazing. Okay, so that was enough of a tick of the box. That's the end of placebo. Yeah. So from then on, they would only test against that one, that early one. 
And the next one's test against another one, yada, yada. They did it with antihypertensives in 2001 or two. Dr. Malcolm Kendrick in the UK told me this story at our heart conference. We've had him on, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he told this one, but there's very little new to me in the world of all this stuff. But Kendrick came up with an absolute jewel. And he did a feature for 10 minutes on antihypertensive. And he showed all the trials against placebo for 20, 30 years up to 2000. All different antihypertensives. They didn't get the control group eliminated for antihypertensives. They wouldn't have a reason. None of them showed mortality benefit. And he was at a doctor's conference and they had a new antihypertensive. And you could clearly see on the slides that there was no mortality benefit, which is the only outcome that matters, right? Do you live or die? Yeah, yeah. 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 But the person presenting at this big bash where they brought all these doctors and they had wine them and dined them in a huge hotel, they gushed about how the blood pressure come down and it was great and all this stuff, subjective measurements and, and numbers. And the doctors were all there, were delighted. And they all went out happy. This was the best, the best antihypertensive. And Kendrick went around to them and said, did you not see it didn't, it didn't really change the outcome, the real outcome. And they just, they just weren't interested. And he no, said, oh my because God. They were, they were focused on a, a number target. That's all that mattered, right? I can relate yeah. to that because I, part of <laughs> the other thing I've had wrong is, is a heart problem. And um, oh. and my um, blood pressure historically has been high. I've lowered it now, but um, I, I've went to a few appointments. This rings so true, and the cardiologist was obsessed with the blood pressure being the same every moment of the day. There could be no variation, and I even questioned that. I think there's because I got my own machine, so I'm checking it regularly. I think there's variation. No, no, um, you know. Uh, it has to be the same. And I, I wow. said to him, I'm just a, a, someone on a spreadsheet, aren't I? Really? Uh, I'm not an individual. I'm on your spreadsheet. That's all that matters. He wouldn't kind of engage more than that. But that's where it, the penny dropped for me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Paul, sadly, you're just a single cell in the spreadsheet. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're, you're C22. I, yeah. <laughs> He wasn't interested, and he just being representative of, of the, the industrial complex behind it, wasn't interested in my personal, individual condition, yeah. status, whatever. It was as long as I my dot fell into that box or that field on the spreadsheet, I was not I was in danger and he wasn't getting the result and and you know, I could die, really is what is what it that- meant. And they they believe it. And it's the sad thing. They're not actually pharma corrupt. They don't even know that they're doing it completely wrong. They've been educated and continued medical education, which is often funded by pharma. They're brought to golf clubs. They're brought on trips. uh, They're, you know, they got reps around every every other day. And they've just they just believe it now. They're they're the fish in the fishbowl. They don't even know they're in a bowl. So clearly your doctor there, that's absurd. Your blood pressure my blood pressure when I was doing triathlons and it was really low for me at the time, I went to a meeting, a corporate meeting, got involved in an argument with VPs and it got very political and I was on fire and it was very, very fraught. And afterwards I thought, you know what? My blood pressure now is probably well up and it was 165 over 105. Yeah. So your blood pressure will change. Even the white coat syndrome is true. If you begin to fear what the blood pressure measurement will be, 
within a minute or two, up it goes. you know, your adrenaline system will begin to, your blood pressure will go up, fight or flight. So the thing about blood pressure is the key things I would say, just first pass on blood pressure. If it's high, but you're not fat and you're eating well, it's, a, it's high. Salts, magnesium, potassium, maybe low on those salts, especially magnesium. So that's just an absolute thing. Magnesium yep. is so easy to take. The other thing is UV exposure and sunlight. If you're underexposed to UV, you'll have lower nitric oxide and that vasodilates, extends your arteries, drops blood pressure. Uh, if you're um, high on fluids or drinking too much fluids, it can, it can bump up the blood pressure. And uh, what's the other? Well, the other one, the huge one is insulin resistance. So yep. you may be slim and think you're eating right, but you look at your blood glucose, your blood insulin, and you may have some insulin resistance. Around 80% of Americans over 45 now are essentially type 2 diabetic. It's an incredible figure, isn't it? Yeah. It's most now, it's people. <laughs> most people over 45 uh, now. Over they, 45, yeah. Yeah. Now, the National Health Survey 2015, I think that was... They had 64% who are either pre-diabetic or diabetic, which is diabetic. But they only use glucose basic measurements. And we know certainly there's another big chunk if you use the best measurement, insulin or insulin after a glucose drink. That's the ultimate. So we're guessing 75, 80. And that's what my doctor friends in the USC by doing the proper measurements. It's just like, it's just a joke. Give you an example. This is mad. My co-author, Dr. Gerber, who we wrote the book, Eat Rich, Live Long, many years ago now, he was doing post-glucose drink insulin measurements, two hours post a 75-gram glucose drink. So no, most doctors will never do this. And the highest reading he got, if you're over 40, you're type 2 diabetic, 40 micro units, two hours after the drink. If you're under 30, you're almost certainly not. So under 30 is the target. I When I did it, I would have got around, I don't know, 16 or something. The highest he got was a, a an overweight guy who actually did not show up as diabetic on his blood glucose, but he was overweight and he was eating crap, but he was not type 2 diabetic on the standard test. He wasn't over 40, like at 50 or 60. You know what he was? 560 units. His pancreas was squirting out insulin. That's how profoundly diseased he was. And his blood metrics did not say he was diabetic. Boy. And he was that. Yeah. So off people the scale. Don't, <laughs> off the scale. And he could fix he fixed that within weeks. Yeah. A couple of weeks of eliminating all the carbohydrates, switching mostly to meat, fish, and eggs. Well, that's that what problem. I've done, and it's gone down. Didn't oh, need any medication. Pressure. I didn't need medication. It's gone down. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to go back to something you mentioned early on. You, you mentioned autism, and I was looking at some statistics the other day. I can't remember the exact um, stats, but what it showed was this ginormous increase in cases over quite a short period of time, just a couple of decades, I think, like yeah. out of the park. So I don't know if you are alluding to it earlier, but – are there any connections to be made there or any anything that's suspect in in that huge um tsunami of of cases if you measure it on you know historical level a couple of decades ago and back from there 
Yeah, so this one, I haven't gone into it in depth. And and also Turtles All the Way Down, one of the only books books I read in it, I pulled other papers and data. It doesn't get caught up in that too much uh, for obvious reasons. But it's can we suspect? It, can we suspect something is obviously something's at play? Well, imagine imagine there was no pharmaceutical product connected to the problem of autism and society really just wanted to find out. The first thing you do is you look at temporal trends. So when did it start going up and what else changed in our macro environment at that time? And you'd look at country to country differences in autism and look for a factor that was bigger in the country with the more autism that switched on. So this is the basic stuff you do. As it happened, of course, a lot of people noticed that, yeah, we've been eating probably worse foods and we got glyphosate and, you know, there's all these things changing in our environment. But the one that stood out was the dramatic one for people was that around this time when it took off, there was a sudden explosion in the degree to which we were vaccinating and particularly childhood vaccines. And that's where the problem was. So it was a natural thing to say, wow, this looks like a smoking gun. And of course you'd think, hold on a minute. Okay. This is an immune triggering, you know, medication. If you checked, you'd find out we don't really have control groups and large numbers to really look properly at this. There's no, there's no data. So it's, it looks like a smoking gun. And clearly we've ended up in a position for whatever reason that we have no proper data with controls to say that it's not that. So we better look, right? So a normal society would jump on that and would build massive trials with vaccines and adjuvants to verify, importantly, that it's nothing to do with that. That's a normal society. What happened? The people who started talking about it were vilified called anti-scientists, you know, lost their jobs. So you don't have to be a hard-ass corporate political guy to figure that one out, right? It's like you don't have to be a real, you know, skeptic to say there's no control and to begin to think that is odd. And then the reaction when people began to appropriately question the potential that this mass medication in children happened around the same time that apparently this problem rose and there were mechanisms by which you could say it is technically possible or feasible. And the reaction is to fire you and to insist that there's never a control to even look at it, the potential. You know, what would a smart average person conclude from that? You kind of say, okay, then, right. You start connecting up some dots is what you do. Yeah, or you might start demanding control trials, but then you're you lose your job because you'll be called an anti-vaxxer if you even discuss the topic. You don't have to say I think it causes autism. Even if you say there must be, if we are a proper society, there must be big control trials now to answer this question. The only scientific way possible is with a control. If you say that, you will be called an anti-vaxxer. That's yeah. how insane it is. It is. It's, it's totally insane. And the other thing that um, just on that, it seems that that um, tsunami of, of cases of that seems to be in a way powering the gender dysphoria, especially it seems in females. So there's a knock on effect from that, which is being 
I don't know, appropriated in some way or, you know, it's sort of outputting in that way. So there does seem to be a connection there as well. Yeah, I have seen that, that a huge proportion, shockingly disproportionate number of people with this dysphoria problem are on the autistic spectrum. So that's yeah. just a fact. And I, that's acknowledged and published. I even had a couple of papers I glanced through on that. Uh, it's extraordinary. And it's unsurprising because, you know, people who have an autism type spectrum issue, um, you know, there's going to be lots of other things. They have difficulty with feelings and expressing feelings. You know, of course, there's going to be other things. So rare dysphoria phenomena are going to show up and they do. So that's a fact. But I guess what worries me is, and again, not to get into conspiracy theory, but just thinking as an analytical, as a corporate guy, Everything we see that comes from the World Economic Forum, UN, Rockefeller Institute, all of all of the bodies, because we've talked about this story before, going back to the 50s, everything comes out always has one outcome. Society is weakened or undermined. Yeah, good point. Always. Yeah. Always. So, you know, no matter whether it's COVID or mandates dividing society or forced immigration policies that are inhumane, nothing to do with racism, just forcing in overloading a country happening all across Europe with excessive numbers that literally some are sleeping in 10 cities because they haven't got accommodation even for their own homeless. That's an absurd policy, but it certainly divides society, undermines society and creates tension. You saw France around a month ago and the riots. So no matter what it is, climate fear as well, Every single thing that comes out meets the goal of, of extending ID cards and extending controls and extending limiting freedoms. Sure, but there's always a bonus. And the bonus is further undermining and weakening society, sovereignty, national identity, culture. Remember the Black Lives Matter and they start pulling down all the statues in England? Like guys from 150 years ago, and they want to pull down their statues. That's destroying history. It, whatever they did, they did. And lots of bad things happened hundreds of years it ago. It is what it is, right? Yeah. It, exactly. It, it is what it is now. It's, it's, it's a tough history. And, and even in Africa, many African tribes and, and across Asia as well, they had slaves too. So slavery was huge all over the world. And sure, the people in America had slaves or in England. And yes, they dominated the world because they had, uh, and the European countries, you know, that went off and took colonies, terrible abuse of people in the colonies and raping their land of all their minerals and, and valuables. Terrible stuff happened, but it was done by all over the world, by all, you know, human civilization. It, it was Black. a moment in human civilization yeah. is what it was, right? Yes. So, but back to the point, sorry, God, we're off in slavery <laughs> now. But yeah, everything it's always a bonus if what you're implementing doesn't just get you a strategic target like a global ID or a central bank digital currency or all the, the things you're really looking for. Bonus along the way is to undermine and weaken society because that will always help you with the things you're trying to push through. A weak, divided, confused, right, dysphoria, confused society where there's no longer male and female like there has been for all of eternity. And scientifically, it's it's a fact. You take away male and female. Like there's male and female, there's black and white, there's up and down. There's a few basic core things that humans can cling to as fundamentals. 
and they're actually going after one of them. Yeah, you know that yeah. undermines and divides society. Ireland at the moment is pretty hot on groups fighting back against pornographic books and libraries in the under 16s. I think the 11 to 15 section of the library has books talking about even fisting is in there and anal. So there's groups trying to push back, but this is being pushed by the public service in Ireland, by the politicals. And I think most of them don't even realize they are hypnotized. This is all coming down the chain like everything. That's incredible that they don't realize it. No, it's been too long and slow. The WHO started talking sex and children, I think around seven or eight years ago. I have a document. They began to get into the sex business. WHO, yeah, the World Health Organization, guidelines for sexual education. And they want to talk about gender stuff and and male and female maybe not always being clear. And I think they put that in the four to eight category in their document. So this has been coming for the last 10 years. And the teachers and the useful idiot public servants who are pushing this and getting angry at people questioning it, you'd say, but how do they not realize this is insane? You're Irish. You don't. Come on, how can you go for this disgusting crap? And they've been 10 or 12 years in talk shops and workshops and, you know, brainstormings and all coming down from the EU, you know, the built all the roads in Ireland, you know, and they're just part of the system where they, they feel and believe we are the good guys. We are doing good things for the children. They believe it. That's so scary. It really is. Okay, so you say that that's a hot item in Ireland. Is the can there be effective pushback in that situation? Well, yeah, I. It's hard to judge exactly, but certainly it's entered the national discourse now at a higher level. Some of the main media have come out, of course, because they're literally puppets of the government now. I mean, the main media, as you well know, is just it's just Pravda generally. So so they've had the same process put upon them that you're just describing for public servants and that sort of frog in the pot, heat them up slowly until they are putting pornographic books in kids libraries. They kind of same process. Oh, same process with the media, because the media has been steadily invested in over decades by all the right people up top. And now the media just answer to their CEO and he sets the tone or she and they're all going to Davos each year, of course, the top guys. So it all flows from the top. And the people lower down just don't even realize that they're frogs that have been boiled for 10 or 12 years. Many of the journalists are irate. And you can tell by their writing that they believe what they're saying when they attack groups that are attacking pornography for children and defiling. They believe that they're the good guys. They really do. So well, it's they, actually, in our local paper... There's a piece today, I just saw it, someone posted it somewhere, where it's um, offering travel bag options that you can have your vibrating sex toy in without it being obvious. And it's just like a like an upfront up news story. Like, hey, of course, why wouldn't we, you know, tell you about this hey, product? Hey, Paul. Really? Hey, Paul, I'll tell you where they can stick that, right? <laughs> As if it's a thing, you know. It's, uh, Yeah. And the media, oh, but in Ireland, you just asked. Yeah, there has been traction. Now, the groups, Mothers for Children, or, you know, there's various groups, they are getting attacked as, of course, far right. Like anyone who goes against the narrative, far right, racist, all this stuff. Goose-stepping Nazis. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the irony is, it's the totalitarian, essentially national socialism model coming down from the UN, Rockefeller and WEF that's driving this madness. The true Nazis, and this is interesting in itself. I mean, the bad guy in the 40s, that was national socialism. And he was a socialist. Yes, socialism People say, being but, the word. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was. His whole ethos and ideology. Of course, he didn't didn't want a good form of of society. He was obviously very evil and, and wanted to dominate. But socialism was his model. They brought in all the unions. They brought in all the corporates. They created a socialist collective type model for Germany. And one of the reasons that he hated Stalin so much and, and the Russian side is because Russians were using socialism, also corrupt, of course. And there was actually very close parallels between them. So they were very problematic, competitive ideology because they were so close. People think they're opposites. Yeah, They're not opposites. The problem is they're very close to each other. You bring in the collective, bring well, in the- Well, they were competitors in that case. They, they were competitors. Yes, yeah. Oh, essentially, there were competing ideologies. And if you go back to the philosophy of all these things, uh, a lot of people think, oh, Germany, oh, that was the Nazi thing, which is kind of like, black and uh, and communism is white. They're opposites. They're not. Uh, they've just got a different narrative. But the yeah. narrative is always just nonsense to sell what power grab. So yeah. what we're seeing now, and just to answer the question for people, there's all these arguments. Oh, but people say what's going on the last few years. It's communism. Oh, they're bringing in communism. But then people get really angry and they say, no, it's plutocrats and ultra-rich Rockefeller driving this. It's not communism. It's crazy capitalism. They don't understand. They're using the ideology of collectivism, all of us together, you know, equity, DEI, diversity, uh, exclusion, whatever, uh, inclusion, equity. They're using the collectivist nonsense, the Marxism. It's neo-Marxism. And yes, it's run by... But remember, the real communist country had the party guys up the top with caviar and cigars, right? Okay. In Germany, had the, the party at the top. And now in this new one, you've got the party at the top. So but they're all you, they're selling to the people, oh, collectivism, we're all going to work together and look after each other. But, but that's nonsense. Obviously, it always ends up with a few people up the top, you know, wine and, and or what, hookers and champagne, and everyone else in absolute misery. Yeah. That's always the same. <laughs> Every, everyone else being told to shut the beep, beep, beep up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, okay, so you talked about some of this in a roundabout way on the Drew show, because I remember you mentioned Rockefeller 50 years ago, that sort of thing. How did that go down with his audience? I'm curious. Oh, well, it was hard to judge, and it was it was latish last night. Um, I've got a bunch of feedbacks on WhatsApp and Signal from people in the network who thought it was fantastic. So, oh, cool. okay. And they're pretty balanced people. You know, sometimes they give a critique if I do an interview, and they sometimes say, it's a pity you didn't mention X, Y, Z. But no, this time on initial feedback, uh, great. And I glanced at the YouTube comments this morning before coming on here and uh, overwhelmingly positive. So I think it went very well because a couple of people called out, you know, that Ivor, and this has not been arrogant now, and just just what people said, you know, it's taken all this complex stuff that, that is so confusing people and making it relatively simple. 
And that's what I targeted with Drew's show, like any show. Get it to a simplified point that people can resonate with. So on the Rockefeller story, I told it in around 90 seconds, very condensed, very simple. And I ended with a couple of key facts that, that, that validate it. And with the autism question and vaccines, I realized as she was asking the question, this is a big topic and it gets messy. So I, I went for the placebo because the lack of placebo and control largely answers the question yeah, that, on that, its yeah, own. That's the slam dunk before the whole yeah. thing even begins, right? Yeah. If you can't that, make it to that, that base, you can't make it to any other base. Exactly. And these are the simple points. And you know, another one I love and I never get tired of it during lockdown. I said it so many times. It's a true story. A relation of mine rang me up in early April 2020. And there were no masks back then. Remember, they brought in masks in the middle of the summer when, the, when there's nothing happening. Evil yeah. bastards. Yeah. So the relation rang me <laughs> yeah. and said, Ivor, is this, is this kind of nonsense, this stuff, this COVID stuff that's on the telly 24-7 on all this mass death stuff? And I said, yeah, but how do you know? Because he's not a real tech guy. And I said, are you watching my podcast? Because I knew he had no interest in what I do in health or podcasts. And he said, no. I said, how do you figure that then? I was just wondering, how could he know this? Because he works in a public service type environment. And they were all brought in early on and told not to talk about COVID. You can't compare it to flu. They were told by their management not to talk at the water cooler about COVID. That came down through the chain early Early on, yeah, this is late yeah. March. So I, I said, how does he know, right? And he told me, he worked it out. He loves shopping. He's no kids, plenty of money. Him and the wife, they both have a lot of money and small mortgage, no kids. So what's, he, what's his hobby? He loves shopping for gadgets and stuff. And they closed the stores, largely. But Aldi and Lidl, the, the German stores that sell a fair chunk of gadgetry, they were still allowed to stay open. There were supermarkets. So he was hitting them hard and any other store that had beyond food and, and drink uh, items. And he noticed something because he's a clever guy. No one's getting sick at all. And we're, <laughs> I'm hearing on the television every night, we're in the middle of a massive pandemic. The cases are through the roof and people are basically dropping like flies. But the people in the shops, and I, he began to interview them briefly. Oh, did you get sick? Did anyone get sick? Oh, how are you doing? He even uh, there's one, one black guy who's enormously obese. Obviously, black, BAME population, much higher risk. Obese, much higher risk. No, he thought he had it, but uh, he never got a test. But he's pretty sure he had it. But no, it was fine. So he realized the people who are hyper-exposed to the great unwashed eight hours a day, indoors with no masks, Nothing's happening to them. So it can't be a big pandemic. It's just a nursing home thing, largely. Yeah. yeah. And I said, you're right. And I said, fair play to you. That is good. You worked that out from first principles, empirical science, which is the science you can see with your own eyes, empirical. You worked it out logically and you're 100% correct. And uh, I often told that story because this is it. People can't even... The evidence of their own eyes, they will discount in favor of the nice man on the telly. That, that is, that's a lot to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't see anyone collapsing in the street or healing over in the park or. Never know. happened. No. Yeah, the Chinese video, you saw that guy when you look at it in slow motion. 
He's just as he approaches the ground, falling over, his hands dart out in front of oh, him. Oh, that's a giveaway. He breaks the fall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crisis actor. Crisis actor. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. And um, <laughs> before you go, I think um, online censorship is kind of going to next level now. Mm. And you know, yeah. you, you've been looking at that. So give us the heads up for the audience of what, what's happening there and, and will they see obvious signs of it? Yeah, so, well, this is what's intended. So the first one Dr. Drew brought up, and he was furious, did a rant. And I'd heard of this briefly, but it's very recent. And I looked it up afterwards, and he's correct. YouTube have changed their COVID medical misinformation policy, which was used to take down countless videos. And it's all full of COVID nonsense and treatments and ivermectin, and you can't compare it to a flu. You're not allowed to say this, blah, blah. Big page of COVID nonsense. Okay, it's changed now, last couple of days. The new policy is generally medical misinformation. Now, that is a censor's dream because that means anything. So I was always careful with COVID because, in fairness, it was COVID misinformation that they got you on. So I did a lot more material on climate and other stuff. But, But now... They're going to medical. But that means you could you could complain about statin side effects and question their efficacy. Medical misinformation. You could say that cholesterol is not a major physiological driver of heart disease. Well, that's not exactly medical, but you know what? That's kind it of medical misinformation. Sort of like it, though, doesn't it sound? Yeah, like it's blood, you're saying blood pressure is caused by insulin and, and the blood pressure tablets are rubbish because it's ultra tension in the kidneys and that's the problem and here's how you fix it. Hold on a second. You're given medical information there, and our guys tell us from the WEF that it's misinformation. Bye-bye. So that's a big deal, and that's coming through. And the other ones that are happening are much worse. And these ones are laws in France, Macron, who's a WEF puppet, one of their early young leaders, and we saw what happened to France in COVID. It was stazzy, frightening. He is trying to bring in laws where the government can go to internet companies and say, give them a list, an actual blacklist. I mean, we're literally back to Stalin, the the list. Give them a list of sites that the government deem are misinformation. And that's not limited to medical. You can have a government blacklist electronically. If they get this through and other countries did that, that's the biggest change in, in modern since the Enlightenment, that you can actually, at source, shut down websites. That would be the in, end of the Internet as we know it. Know it. If, since the age of the Internet started, it would be fundamentally smashed the whole ethos, the whole raison d'etre for the Internet. Remember, it was all celebrated, how people can now speak openly across the world. Yeah, that was the and whole it's point. all yeah. open. Macron comes in straight from World Economic Forum and tries to actually have a blacklist. I mean, and these are domain, domain, domain kind of addresses, right? So if I had a website, you could say that's the website address, block it. It can't go out. Is that how that would work? That's how it would work. And unfortunately, they're going for, for Stalin gold. It would work in such a way, it would be hard to circumvent in X countries. Um, they'd love all countries, the website simply would not respond 
you would just not be able to access it at the kind of at the code level. So the workarounds would be would be relatively difficult. It would be literally. Do you see the film The Death of Stalin? Uh, Yes, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very funny. A while back. Yeah. yeah, no one well, went near him. Barry, no one yeah. went near him when he died. They were too scared. Yeah, they lived him yeah. there, right? It was yeah. English actors and mostly, but also some American. But it was great. It was banned in Russia, I believe. Unsurprisingly, very yeah. funny. But Beria, the pervert, the child molester and rapist, that was one of Stalin's henchmen. Uh, after he died, he was actually taken out and executed. He was the head of the Secret Service, wasn't he? Yes. He was, yeah. Oh, oh a, a short little guy. Yeah, a, a short little fat pervert. I mean, yeah. a disgusting, despicable, evil. I think person. he used to do a lot of the um, torturing and execution yeah. himself. Enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and and of course, younger female prisoners. Uh, he was renowned. A shocking stuff. But he, of course, had the list. And you know, there's the list, and then the middle of the night, bangs on doors of apartments. People are dragged out and taken away, never to be seen again. Stalin's lists. Yeah, and here we are, Macron. They want their list. Yes, of, the list. Yes. And that's when people need to see this. Frightening, shocking, disgusting. There you go. So much, to, so much to look forward to. <laughs> when, well, when, when does it end? It probably doesn't. I don't know. Well, at the same time, I spoke to Desmet, Professor Desmet, a couple of weeks ago. And in Ireland, there was a conference that got attacked by extreme left wing people. They got the hotel to cancel. It was quite disgraceful. But I met with Matthias and, you know, the psychology of totalitarianism, yep. mass formation. Yep. And uh, yeah, he has a lot of hope still. Uh, totally. OK, where does he think we are on the spectrum of that then? I know I know the mass formation, but, you know, and he, and he had ideas to kind of. I don't know, slow it down or turn it around. Yeah. Where does he think we are on that spectrum? Well, he has a new book and I have an interview with him, a short interview I did. I've yet to release. I must release that soon. And um, he said he's a new book on truth telling. And he described it briefly. He said, truth telling is something we've somewhat lost, but now we are getting it back because of COVID. So an undesired effect of COVID was for the bad guys. You have a lot more awareness now. You have channels everywhere. You have people who are actually realizing someone rotten up top, huge groups, are driving communism, totalitarianism. So there's awareness. So he said that is positive. And he said truth telling is not simply telling the truth. You know, that's good. Not lying. Truth telling is a whole way of having honest, authentic conversations about stuff that's important, that involve ethics, right and wrong, truth telling, being an upright person. And he said, people recognize it. They might grumble and call you conspiracy theorists, but if you hold your head high, speak calmly and frame everything in in ethics and right and wrong and speak calmly, the more we do that, uh, the more we will move towards succeeding and, and beating this awful rap. And I think that's really important. My simple way of saying it was, it's a two-hander, raising awareness, and I also described it calmly and always reference, say, well, I saw in the Telegraph last week, mainstream, they did a big article showing that lockdowns had almost no positive effect and they've cost us our children's education and trillions of dollars. You know, use a mainstream sources when you, they do an article and speak calmly. If you get passionate about it, sorry, they'll call you a wild-eyed lunatic. You've got to stay calm. Uh, so there's awareness, one hand, And the other part of the two-hander is to do the opposite of what they're pushing. 
get involved locally, get local produce, you know, get some metals or precious metals in your investment portfolio, um, use cash everywhere instead of cards. So, so those two things, spread awareness and live, live the right way. And, and like Desmond says, truth telling without causing big fights, raise questions, question, you know, and, and I think that's where we're going now. And they're racing to head us off at the pass, uh, Paul. This is the interesting thing. It's fascinating times. They know there's a huge amount of awareness now. More and more people are realizing the conspiracy theorists were right on COVID, on everything, mostly everything, not aliens. And they are racing. That's, a, that's another chat. We'll have that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that one next time. But they're racing to head us off at the pass. And there's almost a giddy a giddy bubbling, not panic, but you can see that they're very anxious. And like the hate speech laws in Ireland we discussed last time, they're racing to head us off at the past because they know a lot of people are beginning to talk and beginning to slowly look upwards towards the UN, WEF, etc. So they're racing and we, in a sense, are racing too. So it's all to play for, I think. It's all to play for. Ivor, always good to catch up with you. Thanks uh, again. And in about a month or so, we'll have another chat. And I do want to talk about aliens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, they've been talking about it in, I think, the Congress, that, you know, the whistleblower yeah. there. What was the question? Um, alien biologics or something. There was some way he put uh, it, which was really kind alien of weird. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I, well, it'd be good to talk about that. And also, there's, you know, it, it, it's a great sort of disinformation play for distraction. But I don't know. We, we might be able to get into that and whatever else is going at the time. But thanks for the chat. And we'll talk in a month. Great stuff, Paul. Good luck. Bye now. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.